Would you pray with me for a moment? Gracious God, speak to us once again. Your word of love, your word of grace. May we be challenged by it. May we be blessed by it. May we be doers, not just hearers. Continue to inspire us and move us to be the church that you are calling us to be in this place at this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So once again, we come together we're reading, going through Matthew. This morning, someone made the comment, Ephraim, your pastor, we're, we're gonna know Matthew by the end of this, are we? Yes, so, yeah, we're gonna be more comfortable with Matthew as we move forward. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's good to know where some of these stories come from in the, in the scriptures. And once again, we are reading a parable of Jesus. We, we talked about it last week, how parables are stories that Jesus used to make a point. These are not necessarily things that happened, but things that the people at the time could hear and identify with and get a lesson out of this story. And I do believe, my friends, that we can get a lesson from this story today as well. Can you say amen? amen. Now, this particular parable You've probably heard before. It's uh, it's very popular, but I think it's a very interesting one, particularly for us who live in such a different uh, context from the context in which it was written. And we got to talk about this a little bit during our Bible study this morning. The context in which we live, of course, is a very capitalist context where uh, people get paid, you go to a job and you get paid for the work that you do. Many of us are so used to ideas of the market and uh, transactions that the idea of grace as it is explained by Jesus can be a difficult one to grasp. As I read this parable, the first thing that I have to understand is that the kingdom of heaven is subversive. That's such a nice word, isn't it? Subversive. It takes the things that we know and turns them on its head. It encourages us to look at things in a, in a new light. Parables do this. They have a powerful message. And I think that if we prayerfully approach them, we can, we can glean that message for us today. So let's take let's think about this parable for just a little bit, okay? So we have the story of a landowner. Uh, went early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a day's worth uh, salary, 
for um, he sent them to his vineyard. Then later in the day he did the same, and then later in the day he did the same, and then even later he does the same. So not so he hires a bunch of laborers who work different amounts of time. At the end of the day, though, they get paid the same amount. Now the laborers who got to the vineyard first start to grumble. How come if we've worked longer than everybody else, how come we're all getting paid the same? To which the landowner responds, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you know, did you not agree with me for eight denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give you this last, to give to this last the same as I give you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? So I believe this is such a good starting place for us to begin talking about grace. Have you heard this word before? I think it's important for us to understand what grace is and how it uh, uh, manifests in the life of the church. How we experience grace, how we live grace, um, how God extends grace to every single one of us. We even have different um, ways of talking about it. There's, there's the Methodists, us Methodists are very particular in how we talk about grace. One of the things that I love about Methodist theology and the way we talk about God is we talk about provenient grace, which means that God extends grace to us even before we are even aware that God is extending grace to us. Even before we read the scripture, even before we go to church, even before we uh, um, become aware of what God is doing in our lives, God is working and extending grace to every single one of us. And so in stories like this, as I read this parable, I see a God, number one, who reaches out to people, who extends grace, and who invites us to extend grace to others. So let's begin with prevenient grace. You have to learn these terms because there will be a test at the end. <laughs> so you have to, I, I just love, um, I love learning new words and I hope you do too. So we have, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, or this passage, this very important lesson in, in manifest in three words, ready? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out, say it with me, who went out. The landowner goes out to look for the laborers and this is such an important part of the story. If this landowner is to be a personification of God, then we can picture also a God who goes out and reaches out to people rather than wait to people to reach out to, to God. Are you with me? This may seem like a small thing, but I believe this is a pretty big deal in our theology. God goes out and looks for us. Provenient grace means that God takes the first step toward us 
God calls us first, then we respond. The reason we can come to God is because God reaches out to, to us first. This is just a basic Methodist understanding of God. God searches for us. I remember being a kid in, in a very Pentecostal church and, and being told of the importance of accepting Jesus into my heart. And I think that's an important thing. But I, there was something in, in my appreciation of God that changed when I realized that, that Jesus had accepted me into his heart first. What I'm doing, friends, is a response to grace. It's not the first step, it's a, because God takes this, the first step toward us. And I wonder if we can learn something from this as a church. If we worship a God who, go, who goes out, what does that mean for us as a church and our ministry? Can we be a church that goes out as well? On Wednesday, for our first uh, conversation on our book study, we talked about the difference between being a welcoming church and being an inviting church. Two words, I've heard both of these used to talk about churches, and I think they are so different. I, 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 we talked about it on Wednesday, and I think it's so important for us to understand this, and that uh, being an inviting church, the difference is that the inviting church goes out. An inviting church does not wait for people to come and meet us where we are. An inviting church goes out to meet people where they are. The landowner meets the people in the marketplace. Are we as a church going out to meet people where they are? And I don't mean just geographically, right? I mean, can we meet them in their context? in their individuality? Can we meet them as they are? In order to do that, friends, we have to do, we have to take time to listen and to get to know people. As we accept an unconditional grace from God who accepts us as we are, can we accept people as they are as well? Now, here's the controversial part of this story, I think, is that the owner hires people at different times of the day, but decides to pay them all the same amount. Now, why would he do such a thing? What is this story about? We had a great conversation today about this, and I'm not sure that we got to a conclusion. This, this is how you know that it's a good conversation, by the way. You don't get to the final word. You leave it open, right? So what does it mean that God, or that the landowner pays people the same amount? Well, there's something there about grace, I believe. Because while in our context, we may believe that the priority is to 
pay people according to the amount of, of time that they work, it seems that the landowner in this particular story has something else in mind. He goes out and meets people in the marketplace, asks people, hey, why are you standing here? And the people respond, well, nobody has hired us. And the landowner knows that even though nobody has hired them to do the work, they still are human beings who have needs. These are still human beings that have to eat and provide for their family. So he brings them in. So there's something about grace there. Now I imagine that the way we read a story like this makes a difference. It makes a difference where we put ourselves in this in stories like this. Let me give you one example, okay? I've had conversations about people about this one, where uh, you've read that story where the woman is brought to Jesus and people want to stone her. And Jesus says, well, whoever is free of sin, cast the first stone. And then Jesus tells to, to, tells to this woman, everybody's gone. I don't condemn you, go on your way. I've heard this story, um, uh, the part of this story that people stay with is, is with the part with go and sin no more. And they put themselves, the people reading this story, most of the times or sometimes put themselves in the place of Jesus and, say, and they, they take that opportunity to tell other people go and sin no more. And that tells me something about how they're reading that story. Where are they in that story? Are they in the location? Are, you in the, are they taking the place of Jesus in that story? Because how different would it be to read this story from the perspective of the woman who is forgiven and extended grace? Does that make a difference in how we read this story? I think it does. You're not the one telling people, go and sin no more. You're the one receiving that instruction from Jesus. No one else condemns you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I think that's a difference in, 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 in how we interpret that. Well, I wonder sometimes, I wonder if as we read this story, this story, if it makes a difference where we find ourselves in this particular narrative. Are we the people who were hired first at the very beginning of the day? Or, or what if it, we, we, are put, we put ourselves in the place of the people who were hired at, the, at near the end of the day? Does that, would that make a difference in how we, we read this story? Perhaps it would. I don't know. Because if we put ourselves in the place of the people who are hired first, yeah, it's pretty unfair. Yeah, we, we want to grumble. Yeah, we've been doing the work. We've been working, we've been struggling, we've been trying really hard. And then this happens. But then if we're the people, if we put ourselves in the place of the people who are hired last, let me tell you what a great message that is. Can you say amen? Amen. That we were uh, insecure about the future. We went out there looking for work. There was no hope and then a helping hand was extended to us. Come here, come to the vineyard, I'll give you work. I'll give you something to do and I'll extend my grace to you. 
So if we're the people who are hired at the end of the day, let me tell you, this is a great, this is great news. And I wonder if as a church, we should, we should just take a moment to take that and appreciate the grace that we've received from God in our own lives. Not something that we can pay for, not something that we can work hard enough for, but something that we receive because God is good. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Can you say amen? One of my favorite lines comes from a band, uh, a song of a band called Reliant K. Who's heard Reliant K in this place? Two hands, that's great, that's wonderful. Tells you a little bit about some generational <laughs> dynamics. Um, but this song is, it says, uh, the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. The beauty of grace, say it with me. The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. I love that line. I love that line. Because <clears throat> because that means that we can experience grace regardless of our context, regardless of who we are, where we are in our walk. This is not a thing that we can earn. This is not a thing that we can work for. Let me tell you right now, the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. It's not something that we can earn given our abilities. It is something that is extended to each and every single one of us as a gift. And if we are those people who got picked toward the end of the day when we had perhaps lost all hope. Let me tell you, this is good news. And the reason why I like to think that the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy is that constantly in scripture, we, we, we find this message. And I try to find examples where we can kind of grasp this idea. And, and one of the best examples that I could find was um, children, the children in our church. Now, do we have any children in our committees? Actual children, not people who behave like children. No, actual children. I'm just joking. I just got here. I don't know anything, okay? I feel like I, I, can, I can play that card still because I'm relatively, I don't know people. Um, yeah, but we don't have children in our committees. I mean, if we think about, in terms of, of what kids can do and not do, I mean, sometimes get the, they get the short end of the stick, right? They can't vote, right? They don't have a lot of say in a lot of things. Um, in terms of what they can do and not do in, in, in the life of the church, it is very limited, yet in the kingdom of heaven, they have a privileged position because we read just the chapter after this one, that out of that um, uh, God finds praise out of the mouths of babies and infants and set them up, puts them on a privileged position. Not much that they can do, but guess what? They participate of God's grace. Can you say amen? So this is why we as a denomination baptize children and baptize infants. 
Other churches may say, wait, they don't know what what's going on. I tell you right now, I'm a grown-up. I didn't know what was, what was going on when I got baptized. I was 18 years old, and I didn't understand the things that God was doing in my life. But prevenient grace means even before we even understand what God is doing in my life, God is doing something, and I just need to embrace that reality. We may not understand it right now, it may be a thing that comes to us later on and we look back and we understand that God is moving in our lives. But provenient grace means that God is working in all of us, every single one of us, even before we respond to the call. Every single one of us, even before we understand. And this message at the end of the reading where the last will be first and the first will be last let me tell you i wonder how the people of the time heard that message perhaps they weren't super excited about it because like uh, then like now there are people who work really hard in uh, religious communities and they do a lot of work and they put themselves at the front of the line because they do so much and they find a privileged position where they can um, perhaps uh, get some benefits from their work. Positions of leadership or authority. God knows there were time, people like that in the times of Jesus. God knows there are people like that in our, our times today. Where we believe that we can earn God's grace in some way. We may not say it like that. We may not uh, 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 say it in those words, but through our lives we seem to live that reality where we can God, earn God's grace. But when we hear those words that the last will be first and the first will be last, we understand that the, king, the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. It's not about how good you are, and you are good. It's not about all the things that you can contribute. It's not about who, how prepared you are, how many degrees you have from school. It's not about your GPA or your salary. It's about God reaching out to you where you are because he goes out and finds you where you are. Can you still say amen to that? Amen. So yes, God goes out. God extends grace, provenient grace, even before we can understand God is working in our lives. So we as a church need to embrace that principle and live accordingly. Can we go out and meet people where they are? Can we make room for others? I, I tell people in churches that I've served, you know, we, there's a lot of churches, I've served a few churches, and, and a, you know, every church is very different, but at the same time, there's a lot of similarities to the churches that you serve. And every church that I've served is, Pastor, how can we reach out better to the community and get more people in our church, get more people in our pews? And I tell people, you better be careful what you pray for. You gotta be very careful if you're praying for people to come in and people come in, oof, then what? 
What are you going to do? What are you willing to give up? How are you willing to make room for people who are different from you, who talk differently from you, who think differently from you? Can you extend grace like God does to you? I guess it's the same thing. I've heard people say, if you pray for rain, you better get an umbrella. Have you heard that before? Yeah? Well, if you pray for people, if you work for people to reach out, you know, God in, uh, in generosity and his wisdom brings people to the church, then what? Are we prepared for it? Are we prepared to receive the blessing that we are praying for? Can we make room? Or will we be like the laborers who grumble because other laborer, laborers who got later after they did but received receive the same pay? Are we going to be those angry workers? Or will, will we thank God that God in His infinite grace and mercy has provided for someone else, has called someone else, and has used us to bless other people in this space. And my prayer, friends, is that I can be a blessing, that I can make space and extend grace like God has extended grace to me. That is my prayer. Can we as a church make that our communal prayer? Can we make it our goal? Can we make it our vision? So today I, I, I thank God. I thank God that the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. And that we are called to take care of each other. I pray to God that we will be ready to do just that when the time comes. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much we thank you so much for your message. Sometimes it's hard to understand. And we pray for wisdom in those occasions. Sometimes, though, it's easy to understand and hard to live. In those times, we pray for courage. Help us understand, God, that we can't earn your grace. Help us understand that it's not about how good we are, how capable we are, how smart we are, but about how good and how loving you are to all of your children. Help us be open to that reality that we are accepted, that we have a place at the table. Help us make a place for other people as well. Help us extend grace. Help us give freely as we have freely received. Loving God, when the time comes and we see your blessings and your grace in someone else's life, help us not to grumble or compare ourselves to them. Help us not compare our blessings to their blessings, but to praise you. Praise you. Because your grace and your love are sufficient.
for everybody. This we pray in the name of Jesus.